0: You are listening to EON. You are listening to the TER podcast, the Teachers Education Review.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to The Teacher's Education Review, the Australian podcast for teachers that bridges the gap between research, policy and practice. This is episode number 137, released on Sunday the 7th of July 2019. I'm Cameron Malcher. In this episode, we're talking exclusively about the policy of banning mobile phones in primary and secondary schools. And we talk with Dr Michael Carr-Gregg, The architect of the New South Wales primary school phone ban policy and also advocate for Victoria's phone ban policy in primary and secondary schools. We discuss why bans may be the most effective policy and what Dr Carr-Greg would hope to see out of a long-term effective phone ban in schools. So this episode is going to be a little bit shorter than usual and focused specifically on this issue of the policy of mobile phone bans in schools. Now, mobile phones in schools have been a somewhat controversial issue ever since they first started to attain regular usage by school-aged children. Similarly, policy approaches of banning mobile phones in schools have been attempted in different jurisdictions and with different outcomes depending on who you talk to and what you're using as your metrics for success. The city of New York became one of the first districts to implement a widespread policy of banning mobile phones in schools, and that was in 2005, which is nearly two years before the first iPhone even hit the markets. Now, that ban lasted approximately 10 years before it was ended for a number of reasons. Then late in 2017, the national government of France announced a nationwide policy of banning mobile phones in all schools, allowing students only in their senior years to have access to mobile devices in schools. Here in New South Wales, in 2018, the government held a review into mobile devices in schools, which was headed by Dr. Michael Carr-Gregg, and recommended that primary schools have an outright ban on mobile devices, while secondary schools have the option of either participating in the ban or of implementing other measures to restrict and minimise potential distractions and bullying issues to do with mobile phones. And then this year, in 2019, the Victorian state government have announced they're going to have a statewide ban on mobile phones in primary and secondary schools. Now, these policies are not without controversy themselves. There are people with strong arguments on both sides for and against policies of banning, One of the major arguments that gets presented against a policy of banning mobile phones is that mobile technology is a little bit like the genie that's been let out of the bottle. It's part of our society now. It's not going to go away anytime soon. And that maybe the best approach is to educate students in its appropriate use, not necessarily just ban access to it in the place where they are supposed to be doing most of their learning and social development. On the other hand, schools are also the concentrated places where most bullying happens, and there are a lot of examples of really heightened cases of bullying being exacerbated by mobile technology, not only among students, but also between adults and students, and even in some cases between teachers and students. Now, here in Australia, one of the leading voices in favour of banning mobile phones in schools is Dr. Michael Carr-Gregg. He is a child psychologist, author and broadcaster who, as I said previously, headed up the New South Wales Review and has also been speaking in favour of the Victorian school ban policy, which is to take place in 2020. So I took the opportunity to speak with Dr. Cargregg to find out why he thought a ban was the most appropriate policy, what he saw as the main drivers behind a policy ban, and also what he saw as the potential long-term metrics of success of such a policy. So here now is our feature interview with child psychologist Dr. Michael Cargregg discussing mobile phone bans in schools. Joining me now is Dr. Michael Cargregg. Dr. Cargregg, thank you very much for your time. So just to provide a bit of context to this discussion, uh, you recently were the head of the New South Wales government's review into mobile phone usage, which recommended a ban of mobile phones in primary schools. And also recently, the Victorian government have announced a complete ban in primary and high schools of mobile phones, which you've spoken in favour of. Can we just first go about why do you think a ban is the most appropriate policy for dealing with technology in schools?
0: I think it's uh, a misconstruction to uh, talk about a ban on technology in schools because we're not. We're simply restricting the non-educational use of mobile phones in classrooms, recess and at lunchtime. No one is talking about taking away access to the internet via laptops or um, tablet devices or Chromebooks. Uh, So it's not really about removal of technology. It is actually a governance issue. So all schools have a duty of care in law to provide a safe environment in which to learn. Mm -hmm. And it is clear from uh, New South Wales court precedent, the Oyston versus St. Patrick's case in particular, that uh, the courts take this duty of care very seriously. It is logical that if you allow young people to carry mobile phones on their person at recess and at lunchtime and use them in an unauthorised way in classrooms, that you are increasing the risk of, one, image-based abuse, two, the chances of teachers being recorded either um, visually or in an audible way, and you're increasing the likelihood of cyberbullying. The advantage, of course, is that you are reducing distractions, and there are two schools where this stands as a clear outcome. John Edmondson High School, a state school in New South Wales, that's had this um, first bell to last bell, no phones policy for five years. They report better academic results They report reduced cyberbullying, and uh, the teachers are very, very happy with the lack of distraction. Exactly the same results from McKinnon High School, and if you uh, get the opportunity, you really should interview the principal of McKinnon High School in Victoria, Pitsa Binion, who's a uh, huge advocate for this, and it simply works. So, irrespective of what all the academics in their ivory towers have to say about digital literacy and um, the rest of it, the fact is the results show unambiguously that this is a sensible policy.
1: The two examples you've given of schools that have had success with this particular policy, uh, I suppose one of the concerns that has been raised in light of Victoria's, you know, the Victorian. Uh, proposed policy has been described as one of the strictest in the world. And one of the uh, concerns that's been raised is uniformity of enforcement, and particularly the possibility of some schools, uh, you know, bending or breaking the rules or even students finding ways around it. Have you got any thoughts on the issues of enforcing such a widespread ban across a state?
0: Well, the um, enforcement of any policy is always going to be contingent on how it's introduced and in the McKinnon High School uh, case there was widespread consultation with first of all parents then the teachers and lastly the students. They got adequate warning that this policy was going to be brought in and initially they had uh, I think four or five Uh, mobile phones being confiscated a day, and now it's simply not an issue. People have become very relaxed, they recognise that the policy is the policy, you put it in your locker, uh, when you get to school, when you take it away, uh, when you leave. The kids that I've interviewed from um, the school initially complained about the policy, but now. They just are totally relaxed. They say that it affords them the opportunity to socialise, to play games at lunchtime, whereas previously people would simply on Instagram and Snapchat. So from a psychologist's point of view, um, there's plenty of time for them to learn uh, digital literacy um, at home. There's plenty of time for them to be on social media at home. Uh, They don't need to be on it at at school. They need to be learning at school. I, I don't see what the problem is. So enforcement is not a problem in either of these schools that I've talked about.
1: Well, look, obviously, we are talking about mobile phones, and I I recognise I used the word uh, technology, which is not strictly interchangeable with discussing the mobile phone ban, so I I do acknowledge that. What I wanted to clarify, though, you mentioned reduced issues of cyberbullying. When you have looked at court precedents and when you have looked at it from a psychologist's perspective of students who've been bullied, how much of a difference is there in students having access to mobile phones, and you particularly mentioned image-based bullying, as opposed to just having access to the internet in a general capacity?
0: Well, if you think about the fact that kids will go into changing rooms, for example, and there's been documented cases of this, and they've taken photographs of other students in various states of undress, um, that simply uh, doesn't happen Um or the, the likelihood of that happening is massively reduced if you've got a phone ban. And from a legal perspective, if my son or daughter is photographed in a school which has no policy at all, and that daughter or that son of mine is adversely affected in terms of depression, anxiety, maybe even self-harm, perhaps even tries to take their own life, um, I am perfectly entitled um, to uh, rail against that school um, because that's foreseeable. They should have had a policy which prevented that from happening.
1: Well, that goes to the next question I wanted to ask is, if this is an issue to do with young people and accessing mobile phones, why is the most appropriate solution, do you believe, a ban in schools and not necessarily a tighter regulatory framework in general?
0: Well, there should be a regulatory framework which incorporates um, the fact that kids are allowed to use their mobile phones when directed by a teacher, which is the Victorian legislation. Um, It provides for that. It also provides for um, students who have medical or psychological problems who need their mobile phones to have that. There's a lot of flexibility in this this policy. It is wrong to characterise it as some sort of brutal prohibition blanket prohibition because that's not the way it is written and it's not the way it'll be enforced or introduced.
1: From what you've said, it seems that one of the key issues is the way that the information such as photographs and images and recordings are used in cyberbullying. But if that issue exists outside of society, should there not also be considered a regulatory framework around access to, say, the social media platforms or the use of those kind of image and data-sharing services?
0: Schools can only control what schools can control, and that's from first bell to last bell. So what goes on outside society really, I think, is the responsibility of the parents. Um, One of the recommendations that I've made to both New South Wales and Victorian governments is that they have every single child it a digital license at home, the Google Alana and Madeline Foundation digital license, which gives the young people the skills and the knowledge and the strategies to use the internet in a safe, smart and responsible way. Um, and I don't believe any student should be able to use the internet at school unless and until they've sat that digital license at home. Difficulty at the moment is it costs $10 and... lot of families can't afford $10. So I asked the Prime Minister on the 27th of January this year um, on Sunrise to to make that freely available to um, all families in Australia to provide the funding for that. And that's under consideration at the moment.
1: Well, you've also tapped into another thing I've seen raised in response to these policies of bans in schools, and that is that it, there is this issue of it sort of uh, having a disproportionate effect but to for people in different socioeconomic uh, groupings within society uh, for example even if the the fee is paid for not all families will have equal access to a computer or the internet outside of school but my understanding is also that that was one of the uh, issues raised when uh, was it new york i think canceled their ban and i'm just wondering have you uh, does the policy how does the policy account for Uh, some of those socioeconomic differences, even just to use the example you raised before, not all schools and not all communities might even be able to have individual student lockers for phones at schools to help enforce the ban.
0: Yeah, I mean, I raised that with the Minister of Education in Victoria and I said that clearly if you're going to expect kids to put their phones in lockers, you have to provide schools with lockers. So there's an infrastructure spend there. You can't have your cake and eat it. So I'm in agreement with you there, the the, de Blasio thing in New York wasn't so much about socioeconomic. The reason why that ban was overturned was that um, kids were paying um, local store owners a dollar a day to store their phones, and the kids were walking out of the school and making phone calls, and a whole industry grew up around that. So to me, that was A, not introduced properly, B, not explained, and C, not enforced. So Mm. I don't think we can use that as an example. By the way, it works perfectly well in France at the moment too, which is where they've got a ban. Uh, Their ban extends to year 10. There's an understanding in France that in year 11 and year 12, kids are capable of greater self-regulation, and therefore they're allowed to use their phones in designated places and at designated times some Victorian schools have adopted this policy. The problem we have is that there isn't a good evidence base for any of these four models of secondary school use, um, which is why in my report to the New South Wales Minister, we had an opt-in to any one of those four models and strong recommendations for research. Unfortunately, the Minister of Education uh, got promoted And after the election, and uh, I have to start again with a new minister
1: now. (laughs) Uh, Well, speaking of research, can I just ask uh, how distinct is cyberbullying through mobile phones from traditional forms of bullying? I mean, you know, you and I both went to school before this kind of technology existed and would have both uh, witnessed bullying, and and you'd be more aware of bullying before the age of technology. So, how distinct is cyberbullying from some of the traditional forms that still caused problems in school communities?
0: Well, it's 24-7. It doesn't go away. It's got a multiplier effect. Um, A lot more people see it and are a witness to it. The humiliation is compounded. Um, The psychological impact does seem to be very, very significant, particularly when a film film, um, or a video is made of you being humiliated and it's played over and over and over again. Um, and sometimes these things can take time to have taken down. So I'd say uh, it is a very serious um, form of bullying and the effects, I think, uh, can in some cases be much greater.
1: So then over a long time period, what would you see as the metrics for success of a school ban policy?
0: I think I would like to see an evaluation which the Victorian government has undertaken uh, to complete in 2020 to see whether or not in fact there was a reduction in cyberbullying, image-based abuse, distraction and an improvement in academic performance, all of which we've seen at McKinnon and at Scoresby and at Edmonton. So if those three schools, which are all in different socioeconomic areas, all state schools, if they uh, if we can replicate those results, then I think Mr. Molino's decision will be vindicated.
1: And do you think there will be an effect of having this as a policy only in some states and jurisdictions and not others across Australia?
0: I think the other states will come into line once the research is shown. Um, and I also think that it would only take a few more legal cases where parents sue a school because of an instance of cyberbullying um, for laws to change very, very quickly. Uh, if the state feels that it's going to lose money, that can be quite an incentive.
1: Well, then one final question, Dr. Car Greg. In considering a school ban policy, you've already mentioned uh alternate approaches to teaching digital literacy outside of school, such as families having access to courses for students to sit. But one of the other arguments, perhaps against a school phone ban, is that this kind of digital technology is part of our everyday life now, and that there needs to be perhaps a more thorough educational program to properly teach students how to engage with it. If a school does, if, let's imagine that there is Uh, the Victorian policy applied nationwide, is there a need for some sort of transitional program? You know, you mentioned that in France, students in years uh, beyond year 10 are allowed to use that technology. Is there a need for some sort of transitional program to make sure that students get that education, or do you have a proposal for how we would actually make sure that students are able to engage in a healthy manner with that technology for when they're ready to leave school?
0: I do have a It's called the eSmart School Framework. It's operating in many, many schools right across Australia at the moment, the one developed by the Alana and Madeline Foundation. It aims to create great digital citizens. Um, The difficulty at the moment is that not all states and territories do it, Um, and we need to get that uh, across the country. Queensland, Victoria and Tasmania have adopted this as their go-to cyber safety framework. Uh, The other states are dragging the chain. Um, I think we need more uh, consistent efforts from Office of E-Safety, from the Federal Minister of Communications, Paul Fletcher, and from State Ministers of Education. Uh, But you're absolutely correct. Education will always be the most important underpinning of creating great cyber citizens. So if you have the eSmart framework at school and you have the digital license at home, we're a heap better than we are
1: now. Well, Dr. Carr, Greg, thank you very much for your time. I'll put links to some of those resources for those who would like to learn more about them. And I guess we wait to see what the decisions of various state governments are from here on in. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. And that was Dr. Michael Carr-Gregg discussing the issue of mobile phone bans in schools. Now, as you heard Dr. carr Carr-Gregg say at the beginning of the interview, these policies focus on banning mobile phone devices, not laptops, not iPads, not other form of Internet-capable devices. And one of the key points he raised uh, a number of times throughout the course of that interview was... As a way of minimizing image based abuse and particularly surreptitious videoing and photographing of students that could be used as bullying material online. He did cite some legal cases where schools have been held accountable for children's experiences of being bullied that continued outside of the school environment because the students were primarily in contact in that school context. Now, this is an issue that remains quite heated in its discussion, particularly on social media. But with a lot of teachers in favour of the idea and also a lot of teachers concerned not only about the possible workload intensification issues, but also, again, about those educational issues of not being able to adequately uh, educate students on proper use of mobile technology and digital citizenship. However, it will be interesting to check out the course that Dr. Michael Carr-Gregg proposes as both a certification for students using digital technology and also a program for educating students as they are given greater access to mobile technology in the course of both their education and their daily lives. With six months to go until the statewide policy ban in Victoria, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more discussion around this. Interestingly enough, there hasn't been as much discussion in New South Wales, partly because in primary schools, mobile technology didn't have that higher saturation rate as it does in high schools. However, once a ban is imposed upon high school students, we will probably see and hear a lot more discussion, both for and against the ban, as we head towards 2020. If you're in a school that either has attempted a policy of banning phones for high schools, or if you're in a school that's taken another proactive approach to education and management of mobile devices for students, particularly in secondary schools, please get in touch at info at We'd be very interested to carry on this discussion and look at the experiences of schools that have both attempted bans and also looked at other approaches to digital citizenship education. Anyhow, That brings us to the end of this episode. We are now heading into the mid-year break in New South Wales public schools and I do hope that wherever you are around Australia, whether you are in the middle of your holidays or soon to be heading back to school, that you are taking the most of this time away and looking after yourself and I will see you again in a fortnight with another episode of The Teacher's Education Review.
0: Thank you for listening to The Teacher's Education Review. All opinions expressed in this episode are those of the individual speakers only and do not represent the views of their employers or any other affiliated organisations. For links, show notes and information on how you can contribute to the Teachers' Education Review, be sure to visit terpodcast.com.